So there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Anything else makes it more complicated. But uh, let's make it a bit more complicated. <coughs> yeah, so today uh, I would like to explore this uh, statement a bit with you, that experience. Probably uh, an experience you have had. A moment of connectedness, a moment of being in the presence of the divine, or, or a moment where the usual defensive, reactive I thought is quiet, and somehow you feel, I don't understand. But somehow everything is just fine as it is. Does not make sense, and as soon as I say it, immediately my mind comes up with all the things which are not fine. But somehow there is this moment in our life where there is a quietness, an openness, a radiance, maybe in nature, maybe when you do the things you really enjoy to do, a moment of tenderness with your child or when you are with someone you love. Mysterious moments who stay in our memory, sometimes dramatic, maybe as a child or as a teenager. Maybe you had an experience like this in a crisis where everything was really like fucked up and you were like, you hit button, but then somehow there was this moment where you realized, where you connected with something bigger. And I think it's safe to say that all spiritual traditions point to that, to point to that very common human mystic experience which we are all capable of. <coughs> so that is, uh, after our first meditation, I would like to talk about that a bit more in depth one of the placeholders, one of the names for that which is bigger in the Buddhist tradition is Buddha nature. So that's what, how this would be translated into the Buddhist, into the Buddhist thought. So if you experience that there's nothing wrong with it, you, you experience Buddha nature. 
then one of the main obstacles for us to deeply trust and rely on Buddha nature, rely on that which is bigger, is the problem we have to take care of ourselves, to be friendly, to be caring, kind, compassionate. So that's why I want to, as a kind of the second theme this morning, look a bit into the practice of self-compassion. What is important in, in there is to th- that it is not good enough to say, oh, I need to be kind to myself. We all know that. The question is rather how. How? Now, to be kind to yourself is like the result of the training. It, it, you know, there's a confusion like when people say uh, let's meditate on self-compassion self-compassion is the result but how do we get there so that's what I would like to say a few words about and the third is um the becoming more aware of the self-denigrating judgmental sometimes almost like self-hatred this inner judge or this inner critic this constant commentary which is like inside of our psyche and is telling us and criticizing us that you're not good enough, you have to work harder, you should have other feelings, you should have more friends, you should be more this, you should be less of that. And I almost write, wrote down here, fuck the inner judge. <laughs> but but it, it was a bit too controversial. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Yeah. meditation I would like to read you a quote of one of the teachers who influenced me a lot I've never met him I've met his reincarnation but I've never met him because he passed away in 84 and he is the founder of the (coughs) organization where I was a monk Um, his name is Lama Yeshe and I, I was trained a lot by, his, uh, by some of his students, also as a monk. And uh, there is this wonderful book of Lama Yeshe, it's called 
introduction to Tantra, the transformation of desire. And in the first chapter of this uh, book, or one of the first chapter, maybe the second chapter, has the title, The Fundamental Purity of the Mind. The Fundamental Purity of the Mind. So that's Buddha nature, the fundamental purity of the mind. After the break, I want to mainly talk about one method, how to experience what is meant with the fundamental purity of the mind. Of course, it's one thing to to hear it and you feel it makes sense and it's like, ah, yeah, it sounds so wonderful. But that's not worth a lot. It's worth a little. It can give some relief, some some hope. What what is really important is that based on that then we put in the work to make actually the shift to experience the fundamental purity of the mind. So this is Lama Yeshe. According to the Buddhist teachings, no matter how confused or deluded we may be at the moment, so no matter how confused or deluded we may be at the moment, no matter how confused. So I guess about 90% of the people here are in a crisis just now and 10% they just have to wait a little (laughs) 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 so it's wonderful take a breath, take a deep breath really enjoy it sit in the sun it's it's going to stop (laughs) so and no no matter what you bring into into this moment, into the meditation. So no matter what's happening in your life, we 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 all struggle. I mean, maybe you you feel your particular struggle very strong, but we we all have a hard time. It's not your fault. You You should have read the contract when you signed in to human embodiment. So, but no matter how deluded you are, no matter how confused you are, no matter how depressed, how anxious, how no matter, no no matter how reactive you are, no, no matter. The underlying and essential nature of our being is clear and pure. The underlying and essential nature of our being is clear and pure indestructible. In the same way that clouds can temporarily obscure but cannot damage the light-giving power of the sun, so too the temporary afflictions of body and mind, or confusion, anxiety, and the suffering they cause, (coughs) can temporarily obscure but cannot destroy or even touch the fundamental clear nature of our consciousness. 
So Lamayesha uses the image of the clouds and the sky. So the clouds, that's what it's obvious for us, that's what we take serious, that's what we believe in, that's what we identify with. So every cloud immediately comes with the I thought. I, the I thought, the mental process of the I thought. And then it's not just a cloud, then it's something very important, something true, something real, something we are stuck in. So what Lama Hirisha says here, no matter what, no matter how, how long this process is going on, how long we are stuck in the eye thought, <coughs> it, the, 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 the sky is not touched by it. It can't be damaged by it. The clouds, the eye thought, is adventitious, impermanent. It comes and goes. Dwelling deep within our heart and within the hearts of all beings without exception is an inexhaustible source of love and wisdom. Now, dwelling deep within our heart, mind, heart, body, dwelling deep within our heart, mind, heart. So it's, it's the same in the Buddhist teachings, heart, mind. Dwelling deep within our heart and within the hearts of all beings without exception. So that's of course a very powerful experience that when you turn to that which is bigger than the I thought, you meet something which we share. So later in this chapter, Lama Yisha says, more you can connect with that in you, more you start to see it in others. So you, you kind of, in the relationship to yourself, but also in the relationship to others, we are stuck in, a, in, these, in the surface the surface appearance. So if, if you just think about someone right now in your family or uh, in your, uh, uh, your friends who is in a crisis right now, you know, how easy it is to really get stuck there and feel hopeless and feel like completely overwhelmed by the surface. So in this chapter later says more you develop the trust in that inexhaustible source of love and wisdom more 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 loving <coughs> more, more present more more open you can stay and be with someone in a crisis Because you see the same, the same within me. It's also the same in the other person. So it's an inexhaustible source of love and wisdom. That's Buddha nature. 
and the ultimate purpose of all spiritual practices. And the ultimate purpose of all spiritual practices. And Lama Yeshe here includes not only all the Buddhist schools, but all spiritual practices, all genuine spiritual practices. Whether they are called Buddhist or not, is to uncover and make contact with this essential pure nature. Is to uncover and make contact with this essential pure nature. So that's the mission statement for your life. Even if you have not, even have, if you if you have not consciously signed up for this you're going to uh, because everything else you sign up for will fail in the sense it will not bring you home it will not satisfy the thirst you have <coughs> this is the only project which will genuinely and deeply bring you that or make you experience that which nothing and nobody can take away from you. No matter what happens. Nothing and nobody can take away who you really are, who you are already. It's just a matter of recognizing. So what is so wonderful in the Buddhist teachings is that's not where they stop. I think a Christian could say that also. Sure. What, but what the wonderful uh, aspect of the Buddhist teachings is they tell us how. So all I read to you now is the result of the practice. And maybe you can feel that already that kind of changes something mm -hmm. <coughs> and you start maybe to recognize with experiences or at least you feel a longing but now we need to look into how how to do that how to make this shift step by step starting where you are There's a big difference of knowing this and even you know, talking about it, like me, and making quotes and you know, putting it onto Facebook. That's one thing. And the other thing is to embody, to live, to live that. That's very different than having an understanding Okay, so let's sit quietly for 10-15 minutes and in, that, in the aftermath of what I was just said. Also invoking the presence of Lama Yeshe and the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa. 
So we have the two pictures here of the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa and the, the Buddha statue and the, the Avalokiteshvara, Shenwesik, the Buddha of Compassion. Uh, so you can now by just invoking them, invoking their presence. We can rely on their support, on their inspiration. So if you like, you can close your eyes. And then, if it feels good, you can take a few deeper in and out breaths. Next in-breath, you slide with your awareness into the body, into your whole body, down into your feet. So you shift gear from being in the head, being in the doing mode, to being here. With the out-breath, there's a sense of release, a sense of letting go. And see if you can let go of some of the tension you carry. So that the whole body softens a bit. You give yourself the permission to do nothing. And you notice how the chair carries you or the floor. So with the outburst, see if you can let go of some of the tension, like a flower opening. Could you allow yourself to let go of some of the tension you carry in your belly? And of course, thoughts continue to arise. That's fine. Just let them be. So with the in-breath, attending, befriending, with the out-breath, release, letting go by letting be.
then when you notice that you get carried away by the I thought, carried away by a story, see if you can drop back into the belly, into the breath. There's nothing you need to think about just now, nothing you need to understand or nothing you need to do. You can relax. And then with the next in-breath, holding your awareness in your shoulders, And could you allow yourself to relax them a bit, to soften your shoulders, like two flowers opening, the shoulder blades. Like a flower opening. And when you soften your shoulders, maybe you can notice that the whole body can soften like every cell of your body opens like a flower. Down into your feet and up to your crown. And with the next in-breath, slide from the shoulders down your arms into your hands, both of the hands at the same time. Breathing into your hands, feeling the aliveness in your hands. And maybe you don't feel much and that's fine. Can you soften your hands with the out breath? Feel how your hands can open like flowers and how this relaxes the whole body. deeper than the mental image of the hands, shifting into the hands,
then with the next in-breath, I invite you to bring your attention into your face. Into the mouth. Softening the chin. Also, the eyebrows and the forehead. Could you allow yourself to release some of the unnecessary tension in your face with the outbreath? the next in-breath, again, slide into the whole body. Feel the aliveness in the whole body. The whole body is breathing. Open your awareness to your surroundings, noticing the temperature on your skin, maybe you feel a slight breeze. senses, the presence of the people around you, and the sounds. this moment to be what it is, as best as you can, softening and opening, letting things be as they are. Meditating like the sky. Then when you notice that you emphasize the I thought, drop back into the body.
There's the content of your experience, the voice which you hear just now, and the sound of the air condition. sensations in your body, like the breath, and then there's thoughts and feelings, Isn't there also a stillness, a presence? A stillness which arises when we sit quietly together in the presence of the Buddha, in the presence of compassion. something which is bigger, underlying, surrounding, pervading the vastness of your being, the vastness of your heart. with your whole body, like sitting in the morning sun. Boundaryless and centerless, timeless. coming and going. But isn't there also the sky? There's the surface of the ocean, the waves of the thoughts and feelings, sensations, breath. But isn't there also the depths? Look into the depths. Listen. Listen into the stillness with your belly, with your heart.
just rest. So, before the break, I would like to talk a bit about Buddha nature and shortly introduce you to one of the methods, methods to uh, lean into an experience of Buddha nature, the method of self-inquiry. So as with many things in the Buddhist tradition, also with Buddha nature, there's different views on, different explanations on what Buddha nature is. And sometimes that can be a bit confusing or it seems to be contradictory. And one way to distinguish a bit those differences is to look into what is called the Shengtong and Rangtong view on Buddha nature. I wrote these two words down there. So you don't need to remember them, it's just in case you start to become interested into the 
experiential and philosophical background, then uh, maybe it's good to get to know these terms and start to study a bit about them. So I can't give you a, like a really a, a, an overview of those two views. I, I want to make it very short. So these two views are two different answers to a fundamental question, and that is, if you take anything away, what you think you are, is there something left then? So what do I mean? A good, uh, a good way to get a taste of what I mean is, imagine you are dying. The death process in the Tibetan tradition is very preci precisely described, what's happening in the death process. And it's being described in what is called the eight dissolutions. So it's a close description on how from the experiential side, from the experience side, what happens when you die. And it is being described as this kind of dissolution of the different levels of consciousness which we are identified with. The different levels of the I-thought. So what's, wh what is going to, what is going to be what what is what is going to dissolve or what is being taken away from you is all the things you think you are your memories your roles your name your purpose your relationships your senses so it's, it <laughs> all goes ah here the wonderful thing is that anxiety also goes <laughs> depression goes all that is conceptual all that is a, is a superficial level of your being but we are stuck there how, do, how we are stuck there through the I thought that's it The problem is the I thought. So that, that the I thought makes us makes us stuck on that level. So now in the death process, a bit like falling asleep, it's similar to that. So in falling asleep, it's a similar process. It's not as deep, but it, it is a, it's a similar. The dissolution of the cause levels of consciousness. So now everything is taken away yeah. so the question is is there something there and that something which in the teachings on the death process is called the clear light mind of death which is just another word for Buddha nature so now let's start with the 
Shantong view because that's a bit easier to talk about because they're talking about something. So it's a bit easier. So the the Shantong view is the view which is being held by people who approach this not from a philosophical, from an analytical point of view, but from an experiential point of view. So they, it's, it, is, it, is, uh, it, it comes from those people who actually sit down and do this process of dying in a way. And then they, then they put words on their experience. This view has been uh, looked upon kind of as an heretical view. Because what this view says is, the answer of this view to th this question, is there something there? The answer here is yes, there is something there. And there is qualities, so they describe, it's like a positive phenomena. Here, Buddha nature is something with qualities. And I, I, I'm going to talk a bit of, the, of these qualities. How, how is Buddha nature described in this exp experiential Shengtong view? A bit, or I, I mean, I, I already did it in the in our guided meditation. So when I said, when I talked about the boundaryless, timeless presence, what did I use? Other words like so, like positive descriptions uh, to point us or to share an experience of that which is being pointed to in the Shengtong view. So in the Shengtong view, Buddha nature is something. It's a positive phenomenon. It's not the normal kind of something, you know, like solid, uh, local things, but there is something there. And they come up with that because this is how it feels when you get there. This is how it feels when you look into the nature of your mind. That which is bigger, yeah, to say in, in kind of simple words, that which is bigger, when you look there, you can't find anything. But wow, what a not finding anything that is. <laughs> it's to say that it is nothing just does not you know, it's, it's just not right to say that is nothing. But there is the danger of if you make it too much into something. Because then again you have then you have this dual thing, you know, so I'm here and there's the something which is God or which is like the big thing and I'm not there and how do I get there and we have and we are full of ideas so the, the, the problem with the Shengtong view is when you get this description which I will give you 
uh, it will maybe it will make it mess up. Uh, it will mess mess up the possibility of an experience because we get ideas. Ah, it should be like this. Ah, it should be like that. Yeah, the sky and all these words and these images. Yeah. And then sometimes we have this feeling. Yeah, now I got it. Now I get it. Now I get it because it's like this and this and this. So that's that's the the problem with with this approach. That the, this 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 longing for someone who has experienced this or who is resting in this, this longing to share this with other people, makes them makes them making too much words. <laughs> like books and descriptions and it becomes so complicated. And and we get an, an impression it is something which can be known. It is something, because there are so many words around it and so many descriptions, then we feel, ah, I just need to think about it a lot and read about it a lot and then when I understand it, then I got it. But that's not it. So I guess that's like the concern of the of the Rangtong view, which is like the that's the major view in the Tibetan tradition, and it has been held particularly strong in th within the Geluk tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, and they were the people in power in Tibet because they were the strongly monastic uh, political power party. So they uh, subdued uh, the, uh, the, um, the Shengtong view, also with violence. It was forbidden and kind of held secretly uh, within some Kagu schools and Nyingma schools by people who were not so much interested in the philosophical view, but who were interested in the experience. And the experience is just, it's obvious in that experience that, they, that it is not a nothing. So if someone coming out of an experience of Buddha nature comes out of it, and tries to talk about it, it will always sound as if he is talking about something. And then we believe, ah, there must be something. And, and that something then we try to approach with we try to approach that with the way we approach all other somethings. So now, the, the Rantong view avoids that. And it's, of course, it's not that they are completely contradictory. The experience is the same. But the, the Rantong view is... Uh, is a view to approach this analytical, philosophically, and it is no. Maybe some of you know the Heart Sutra. 
so which is uh, one way to 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 uh, uh, to divide the Buddhist teachings. The teachings of the Buddha is to talk about the three turnings of the wheel. So, in the first turning of the wheel, which was the teaching the Buddha gave in Deer Park uh, about the Four Noble Truths. So, in the first turning, he said, "Okay, this for the four of that." Uh, the the sixteenth of this, the no. so he laid out the practices and the path. <coughs> then, in the second turning of the wheel on Watcher's Peak, uh, the Buddha taught the Prajnaparamita Sutras, the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras on emptiness. So, what he did there, and you can read it in that text, it's very powerful. Particularly if you replace the words. No, there is no nose, no no tongue, no blah blah blah. With oh, there is no bank account, there is no pension, there is no mm. worries. Yeah, I mean, who cares that there is no nose? Yeah, but uh, there is no money. And we care about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <coughs> what the Buddha did there? So imagine there are all the monks. Unfortunately, many monks. <laughs> Maybe some some nuns also, but they are not mentioned. Uh, so they are they are all there, and you know, they have studied the four noble truths, and they they know the sixteen of that, and thirty eight of this, and all that. And it's all laid up, uh, laid, and they have practiced, and they have probably dissolved high degree, uh, achieved high degrees of uh, focus of shamatha practice. So then the Buddha comes and he sits there and he says, not this, not that, and that I also take away, and this, and this, and there's no path, and there's no one on the path, and there's no attainment, there's no enlightenment, there's no four noble truth, uh, there's no problems also, but he also takes away the holy things. So imagine, that's like the, the death process. And the monks. <laughs> it says in, in another Prajnaparamita Sutra that some of them vomited blood and fainted. <laughs> because now, of course, we are identified with our bank account, but they were identified with their spiritual attainments and with enlightenment and where they were and their experience in meditation. So it's, it's, it's maybe a more constructive. Uh, temporary, more constructive identification. But the root problem is the same. So so he takes away, in the Heart Sutra, he takes away. And then you're sitting there. And what? Now? He gets up and leaves. And you are like, <laughs> no, the experience of groundlessness. There's nothing to hold on. So in the f- in the second turning of the wheel, the Buddha does not give us anything. He just takes away everything. A- and he is not saying in the end, yeah, but there is Buddha nature. Yeah, do kind of to. 
to you know, calm us down or uh, uh, make us feel safe or something. So he, he just tells us what we are not. And then he leaves. But then after a while, he thought, oh no, I, this is a bit too tough. People can, can't take this. So then he gave this third turning of the wheel. And the third turning of the wheel is um, where he talked about Buddha nature. So where he so he goes back to the monks who are still sitting there. <laughs> yeah, wait a moment. <laughs> I have to add something. Yeah, that, that nothing, that nothing which opens when you take everything away. So now he, now he said something, he said something like, There is neither a something there, there's neither a something there, so he, he negates the something, that there's something there, and there is, no, there, there, no, that doesn't, that's a, it's this double, double negation, it's always a bit complicated. So there is not something there, there is not something there, he says, there is not something there. But there is also not nothing there. There is also not nothing there. Huh? <laughs> so, the, if, if we, usually if we hear the sentence, there is not something there, then our conclusion is, okay, there's either something there or there's nothing there. That's the two possibilities. That's what the dualistic mind says. Either there's something there, and if there's not something there, then there's nothing there. So now the Buddha said, yeah, but there's not nothing there, but there's also not something there. I don't know if that is helpful. <laughs> So, when your conceptual mind stops because you can't figure that out, rest right there. Just rest there. Can you say that again? When the conceptual mind stops because it can't figure this out, the, the dualistic mind can't figure this out. Rest right there. Rest in that gap. And when you rest in that gap, yeah, there's nothing there. But what a nothing. It's like, there's nothing there, and then it's everything. So 
like you you go like there's nothing there and then you go like this <laughs> nothing is being taken away So that experience of the gap, the, that ex ex mind the gap, so that experience of that gap, the gap between thoughts, that is the experience of your Buddha. That is the dissolution of the I thought. And with the dissolution of the I thought, there is a dilution of my problems. Let's have a break, 15 minutes, and then I will lead the meditation. So I would like to mention those three qualities of that which dawns when everything is being taken away. these three quali qualities of pure awareness or of awareness itself. Uh, I don't want to talk so much about it, uh, but I have been giving some talks before, so you can listen to them on SoundCloud if you want, or on the... Uh, I have also the, the same on uh, the iTunes called uh, the Natural Meditation Podcast, so there I, I post uh, also these teachings, this teaching today. So, And if you want to read about these three qualities in a kind of bit more non-traditional way, then I would recommend the book uh, by Tara Brach, 
her true refuge, where she uh, goes into these uh, three qualities of pure awareness a few times, and it's also describing how to um, approach this experiential. So this is actually the refuge, the pure awareness, that's the refuge in the Buddhist teachings. So you rely, you start to trust, you start to rely upon that which nothing can can take away from you. So you rely on trust, on that which is prior to all experience, which actually makes it possible that you have experience. Like you have an experience now, also you listen to what I'm saying, you have your thoughts, you have your feelings, and for you, in order to have this experience, there needs to be awareness prior to the experience. If I say a word, it falls into something. If, I, if nobody would be here and I, I would say the word, it would also fall into something. It would fall into something which is a bit similar to pure awareness in the sense that it is spacious, that it is limitless, boundaryless, and centerless. But there would be a very big difference. So if nobody would be here and I would say it and it falls into this space, it's not known because the space here in the room can't know. But the space in you knows. But for in order this to happen, that space needs to be there. So my words just now, they are a proof that there is awareness. Otherwise you wouldn't know these words. Are you aware? Mm. A- and that, no. When I when I ask you, are you aware? What, what where? How do you know? What's that? What, what do you? How do you check that? And of course. And usually we don't ask this question. Usually we don't look into that because we are so interested in what is being said. We are so interested in what is being seen. We are so interested in, in what is being being felt. That's where our attention goes to. That's where, and then the problem is the I thought. So then it's not just seeing, hearing, and feeling. Then it's I. So, oh, there's a feeling, I. There's a thought, I. There's a problem, I. So we attach the I thought to the content of our experience, and then we are, we are, we are identified and locked into that. And, and the question does not occur to us, hmm, let's turn around. Let's turn around. <coughs> let's let's tune in. Let's 
that's lean into that which is aware, <coughs> that which is prior to the words, to the thoughts, to the feelings. And this is the only thing which is always there. That's actually the only thing which provides the continuity. Because everything else is different, is changing, is, is transparent, <coughs> is transient. Like, you know, ten years ago, your body was completely different, completely different. There's nothing in your body the same like 10 years ago. Every, every atom, every cell of your body has been replaced. Your thoughts, your feelings, your relationship. Maybe now you're a mother. It's completely different. But this, 10 years ago, this, I am was there, this deep I am. <coughs> so, I, I use the words of Tara uh, Brachnau to, to, as pointers to this uh, this this basic fundamental I amness, this basic fundamental presence. Which was there already when you did your first your first movement in the room of your mother. And it will be there when you die. So, open. So that describes the quality of boundless, of timeless, of centerless. It describes this quality of, if you lean into that, if you become curious about that, you're not, you're not really finding th something. You're not finding awareness. There's a nothing there, but what a nothing. A full nothing. And actually, that nothing, which is there then, is the only thing. It's not a thing, but <laughs> it's the only thing which satisfies your thirst. That's the water of life. Everything else is not the real thing. Everything else. <coughs> so the no thing is the only real thing. Everything else is, is cola light. <laughs> it's fake. Like, you know, solving problems and having a relationship. And that's all important. You know? So I'm not but it's not 
it's not it's it's not going to satisfy you deeply genuinely so the no thing is the only real thing so that's the openness it's also sometimes called emptiness yeah, it's this un un it's unfindable it's undescribable it's beyond words <coughs> So awake. So awake is that quality of knowingness. That's the difference to, you know, the space in this room when you're all gone. That's also, also, empty and limitless and boundaryless, and you can't find it as a thing. But this room has not that quality. It's not on. It's not awake. It does not know. It's called also knowingness, presence. So there's not enough time today to go deeper into the practice of self-inquiry, but part of well, one, one, one option to start to explore awareness awareness itself knowingness is to follow that question what is aware what is hearing what is feeling so you ask that question and you look and you don't find anything but that not finding anything makes you find everything There's nothing there. Yet there's everything. So that is self-inquiry. What is what is aware? So you, you, you do your practice like your breathing meditation, your loving kindness meditation, whatever your practice is. And then towards the end or in between you you that this question arise. What is the way? Same if you are in, in, in trouble, if you struggle. Of course, if you are completely completely overwhelmed, then you need to do some preparation practices, preliminary practices. But then at one point, if you have if, if you have uh, familiarized yourself with these pointers, then at what point it will be possible for you to also ask, what is having this problem? I just uh, read this. Uh, I, w I was uh, a week in a in a monastery of the Thai tradition recently, two weeks ago. And uh, I've read a bit about uh, about the teachings of the founder of the monasteries in England. He's called Ajahn Sumedho. And uh, I just read this one sentence. You know, sometimes like one sentence can be very powerful. And that said, 
the awareness of anxiety is not afraid. Is not. The awareness of anxiety is not afraid. The awareness of pain is not in pain. The awareness of your problems has no problems. It is aware of problems, definitely, but it, is, it has no problems. So that is like being identified with the I thought and the content of your experience. And then, what is aware of the I thought on the content of all my experience? What is aware of that? Like, yeah, I have this problem. I, 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 I have this problem. It's my problem. And I can feel it. This is me. But what is aware of that? And then you look, and you don't find anything. That anything which you don't find, you know, <laughs> that anything which you don't find is open, awake, and gentle. And these are just words. So don't, don't make it too like, oh, I need to look for something open, awake, gentle. No, you're not looking for something, you're looking for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it couldn't just be in this thing. Well, what's the big point? What, what, uh, why are we not just in this great thing? That's, you know, yes, yeah. uh, because we're afraid of it. Yeah. Why? It's great. We talk about it. I guess I'm looking for a story like Adam and Eve or something. I don't know. So yeah. What's the big story? The, the, yeah, the, so the big story is yeah. that there is infinite love eternal love and you get scared because uh, because out of habit there is a sense of security when you have a sense of ah this is me the infinite eternal love feels like and it is at the death of you. Of, of you, what you believe you are. So of the little you. Because and then I couldn't be angry at uh, everybody, but I'm angry at them. That would be really the, This being angry at other people <laughs> is part of feeling who, who you are. It, it kind of gives you a sense of it, it is it's not a nice place to be in but it is it at least it feels a bit familiar it feels a bit yeah i know this it's my home no it's like a bit like uh this tendency we have to go back to uh destructive patterns we know from childhood like going into a relationship where we can repeat the same painful situation why, why do people do that? Because it feels home, it feels safe, even if it's a painful place. 
And uh, the Buddhist answer for your Adam and Eve question is, uh, they get away with saying, this is like this since beginningless time. So there was never uh, this state of um, paradise in the beginning and then something happened and we fell out. So according to the Buddhist uh, myth, that falling out is happening in e every moment since beginningless time. That falling out of paradise is happening in every moment through the I-thought. <coughs> so, and then you would ask, okay, where did the first I-thought come from? And then they say, an I-thought comes always from another I-thought. And you go back and back and back and back. And so that's the the thing in the Buddhist uh, uh, in the Buddhist myth is there is no beginning of the I thought. It has been like this since beginning this time. But, but there is a way to go. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. yeah. So if we basically if we can pro prolong the gaps, that will reduce the I. Yes. And, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. I the I thought, not the I. No, the I the, thought. The I thought. The, the I. The I. The concept of I. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it, I, I like uh, now today. I like the word uh, the word I thought, no. because if we say the ego or something like that, then then there can be a sense that there is something, but there is nothing except the thought. That's it. There is no other more solid thing we need to overcome or we need to get rid of or something. That's it. It's a thought. But that's, that's quite freeing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's why I like the word I thought. It makes uh, it a bit like, uh, okay. So let's Not try to prolong the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would free us in the end. <laughs> yes. But something you said before, pure awareness is the refuge of, and then I missed the word, what you said. It's a refuge in the Buddhist teachings. Oh, okay. So if you take, if you say, I take refuge to Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, no, there's this different levels of what is meant with Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. But like the essence of Buddha, Dharma, Sangha is pure awareness. It, so the, the the refuge in the Buddhist teachings is nothing. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to say something about this gentle. Mm. When in the in the in the tantra teachings, when when this are aspect of your Buddha nature, of Buddha nature, it's not your Buddha nature, it's Buddha nature, of Buddha nature is being emphasized, then it is symbolized in, in, in these goddesses, yeah, Tara, Prajnaparamita, so which is like emphasizing this goodness, this care, like that everything comes out of it and dissolves back into. And when Christian mystics uh, experience the nothing, then they, and in other tradition also, very much the heart aspect, the love aspect, 
is being em emphasized. Not, not as a theory, because it feels like that. It's the experience. So they come out of the experience of this nothing and they talk about eternal love and infinite love and bathing in love and the radiance of love. Uh, so in the Buddhist teachings, uh, sometimes that's, that is not so emphasized. I don't know. Depends on the teachers. So, um, Tara Brach calls it gentleness. It's also called, uh, yeah, Tsukni Rinpoche calls it essence love. And uh, so it is, Tongpa Rinpoche calls it goodness. So, again and again, when, when people open to that mystic experience into the nothing, into the into the dissolution, what they experience is of course something beyond words. It, it is really humbling to, to want to share that experience. It's like, <coughs> I mean, uh, but one of the words they come up with is, is love, gentleness, tenderness, goodness, the care which is at the core of this universe. Okay, let's uh, move uh, to the self-compassion. And um, so, this is kind of the, the most profound approach. But when we are honest, then quite often in our life, we feel that we are really separated from this. It seems like far away. Everything seems, every, everything feels so solid, so real. And we are identified with that person which is stuck. So there's a lot of provisional practices in the, in the Buddhist tradition, which makes it possible for us to open the space a bit, to bring more, more space into this strong identification with the I-thought. So it's very important. And provisional does not mean um, that we shouldn't do it or that we should immediately go here or something. Uh, so these are very precious practices. And we have to, we have to, as part of our journey, we have to explore these practices and use them. 
they are not the ultimate practice, but they are necessary and beautiful and precious. So there is a, a Western researcher who did a research into self-compassion, Christy Neff. And she came up with these three with these three aspects of cultivating self-compassion. So I recommend you if particularly if you kind of if you need some research to back up your practice, like you like to do something which science proves, uh, so then then that's very good. So of course, we come from this kind of thinking. So for us, it is helpful to see uh, to see a kind of a more research-based practice. So it's Christy Neff, and the other teacher is called Christopher Germer. I mean, these two they they really emphasize the, uh, how to cultivate self-compassion. Um, one thing I would like to say here is part of the cultivating of self-compassion is to become curious and to put time into an investigation into your conditioning of where from your life story the sense you have that you're not good enough where it comes from. This is of course provisional and it's not like we do this for the rest of our life, or maybe we do. Yeah, Th that depends. Uh, but it is so. It is really helpful to get to know your conditioning, your history, your childhood wounds, your traumas. Uh, no, there is sometimes no like. Buddhist teachers or, or non-dual teachers who kind of look down upon that you know, because yeah, the problem is the I thought the problem is not that you have a trauma, the problem is that you identify with it, but that's not that's not working for us it, it, maybe for two like Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie yeah, that's <laughs> it but I'm not uh, Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie yeah <laughs> Somehow they manage, but probably because they have been doing the therapeutic work, like work in ten million lifetimes before. Yeah. <laughs> so to get to know your conditioning, you know, in workshops, maybe in a, in a in a individual therapy, that's very very healthy and good. They are no that that pain which you carry is not going away by saying, "Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that. I don't want to touch that. I don't. I want to kind of jump over it. Like there must be a way not to touch it, and immediately jump into uh, the non-identification. Like boom, and then it's gone. Yeah, it's not going to happen like that." It must be part of our journey, knowing that we are not really it. But it's in your yes. But you are also you are it also. You, you know you are not really it, but you are also it. And you have to take care of it. You are the only person who can go there and take that little girl and 
love her and forgive her and say to her that all is fine and that you take care of her and, and in order to do that you need to feel her she's not going she's not going away without you turning towards her and taking care of her it's very harsh to say I'm not it out because I'm the luminous expanse And no little frightening girls here in the luminous expanse. <laughs> yes? I just wonder, sometimes those experiences can be very dissociative. It's very hard to get in contact with it. You just, something happens, you see the things happen in your life. Which mm. You can even know it uh, conceptually, but you can't touch it. Is there a method uh, for that? If it's really hard to get in touch with. Uh, I think part of not getting in touch with it is something one can also, it's good to respect that. I wouldn't, I I don't think, uh, no, I, I don't buy so much into this year, you have to break through resistance and you know, breathe, breathe yourself forcefully to experience it. And so, uh, But uh, you, know, you make the offer, you gentle go there, and then if if there's resistance, if there's fear, then then you accept that. Mm. And, and there will be the time where your psyche will be ready. Yeah? Yes, and then I think part of this is to uh, to do to do this with uh, body oriented. Body oriented. Not uh, not as something in the head, yeah? making friend with the little girl <laughs> yeah? yeah but uh, so it's also part of the journey would then be to become more emotionally intelligent uh, in terms of the somatic aspect of your emotions the energetic aspect of your emotions so so um, part of self-compassion is the self-care. Yeah? So the, the capacity to take to look after you, to uh, to talk to yourself and to the different aspects of yourself in a gentle and friendly way. Um, and to 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 really get get to know on a body level to 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 learn to kind of to to teach the body to or to learn within the body what it means to be kind that is a journey it takes time so it, it it's not it's not enough to do it like in a mental way. You, know, you, you need to you, you need to feel it. Or how does it feel if someone is really kind, or if someone is really compassionate? So to to open that. And 
one way would be you know, those of you who are, have children uh, you know, that, that, that care which the father, the mother which w was opened in you when, when you held your child and when you're holding your child you know, that unconditional care that unconditional kindness which you maybe have difficulties to express sometimes but it is there so that that is it turn that to yourself so turn that father which was a which awakes which awoke in you turn that to the little boy in you which is longing for that father and didn't have it. So for others it could be the, uh, you know, your dog, a friend. You know, to remember moments where you, a, a plant, no moments where you felt that softness, that care. You know, making a meal for a friend or you know, giving something to someone. We all have it. You are born with it. Look at any child being born on this planet. You know, it, like the first half year. Look at them. It's there in them. It's it's uh, hardwired in their nervous system. That capacity, and it's still there. So, but it needs uh, being, you know, supported. It needs to. And then, when you do that, when you bring that self-care to yourself, you will meet resistance. Well, this will say, oh, you know, you're not worth it, you shouldn't do that, this is self-indulgent. And then if, you're, if you think you're of yourself as a Buddhist, it gets even worse. So don't become a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. Because then you have this word self-cherishing or something like this. You know. Self-cherishing is the, the cause of all evil, you know, teachings like that. So then, then you might then you might get even more afraid to take care of yourself and to put to to stand up for your needs and be loyal to your feelings because it's self cherishing. So there is there will be resistance. It feel it will feel completely awkward in the beginning to not to imagine. To step, <coughs> to step out, and to look at yourself, and to whisper into your ear with your own voice, "Oh, I love you so much." So you you, you step out and you whisper in your own voice, "I love you. I really love you. You are a wonderful person."
is not a meditation which you know you do once or so. What the, the loving kindness may I be happy, may I feel safe. Yeah. This is something you do for months and years. You know, the practice of Tonglen, uh, or giving and taking, practicing Tonglen with yourself. So you you do it for, for a long time, again and again. The self-care in the Tibetan tradition, part of that could be also a, a, a devotion to a to a master, um, understanding that what you what you recognize in the master, the care, the presence you recognize in the master, is actually an aspect of yourself. You, in a relationship to a master, you always work with a projection. It's a projection you work with. And you use, you empower that master to, to be that holder for you, temporary, because it's so difficult to connect with it in you. So you kind of, you place it outside. But don't leave it there, because then it's worship. Then you, may, then you lock yourself in into, I'm the one who is not so compassionate. But what you see in the Dalai Lama, what you see in the Karmapa, that's in you. That's why you see it there. They are just there. They run around so that we can connect with that in us. So that's another way. If that works for you, you know, with angels or with the Bodhisattvas or with Jesus or Krishna or the Karmapa, the Dalai Lama, it, it can be any any of those where you feel genuinely, where you feel that grounded, down-to-earth, unconditional friendliness, kindness, compassion. And then you bring yourself, you bring yourself again and again, every day. You, you sit in the sun. And again, and again, and again. So, Christy Neff and Christopher Germer, they have like guided meditation. I have also on SoundCloud some like compassionate breathing and compassionate body scan, so I also have some meditations which particularly emphasize the practice of uh, self-compassion, self-care. And this is not self-indulgent, this is not narcissistic, because you, 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 you do it with a heartfelt intention, with a heartfelt intention to do this because you want to benefit others. So you, you make it a bodhicitta practice. You do it with a heartfelt intention. If I want to, if, if I want to bring loving presence into my relationship, 
this is where I need to start. So the, 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 this third aspect of self-compassion, the common humanity or the common ground, right? so the kinship we, we experience, this is the practice of um, opening from the, a strong I thought, you know, my problems, my fear, my anxiety, to wow, this is actually something we share. This is something we are in the same boat. We are all struggling. We are all haunted by anxiety every day, all of us. No exception. Maybe, I don't know. I, I don't think here. Um, so, let's do it together. So, in, in that way, uh, so when you approach and you befriend and you look into anxiety and you work with it, it's not a private trip. You do it for all of us. It's the, it's the anxiety of our times. It's the anxiety of our culture, the anxiety of, uh, of being human. It's part of our experience. It's part that this is just the normal thing. So in that way, you can see how the, your own healing is not, uh, no, it's not about you. It's, you do it for all of us. You do it for the whole planet, for the whole... Um, this, is, this is probably, I don't know, but it could be the most important part of peace work. So this is the common humanity, connecting with that we that we are in this together, with all which is you know, helping this, making this shift into that which is bigger. <coughs> yeah, and then the practice of mindfulness, and I uh, hear. Uh, I'm using often the, what is called the RAIN model to describe mindfulness. I'm, I'm not going to do it today, but that's something you can uh, you can uh, s research yourself. There's talks by by me, uh, by Tara Brach. So if you Google RAIN model, you, you can find out. And it's very helpful. Uh, and, and Tara Brach recently gave a talk on the RAIN model, particular with this theme of the inner critic and the inner judge. So if you, if you are interested in that, then you can listen to that. Okay. So I know I move quite quick, but uh, so it's like kind of an introduction and I want to give some space for questions. So the third is, you know, looking into the inner judge, looking into the inner critic. So part of this healing journey is that you become aware 
how you treat yourself. Not to shy away from it, but really to become aware. Increase your curiosity and increase your awareness of how you talk with yourself, with, with what kind of voice you talk with yourself. What is uh, several, probably you have a kind of a community of judges, different situations. And some of the these uh, commentaries is kind of almost subconscious. It goes on, but it's like it's not very obvious initially. But I'm sure whenever you feel bad, whenever you feel rotten, whenever you have a bad day, there is something going on there. There's something in you putting you down, criticizing you, making you feel worthless, saying you should work harder. Something is going on, even if, even if it's not really a distinct voice. So to become aware of that, to get to know that, is painful. It's not, uh, you know, because you 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 kind of, oh, I I would never think about like this about another person. Why I, I never would tell. Maybe think, but I I would never would tell another person this because it's too cruel. And here I am talking like this to myself. So if you have a sense of, no, no, this is not happening for me, I'm, no, I feel quite good about myself. There could be, I mean, there's, of course, we all have, you know, sometimes we have a, back, a healthy background by parents who really could welcome us for what we are and not what we perform and how quick we are or how smart we are. Or what. So it's possible, yeah? But one way to get to know your inner judge is to go into a coffee shop, to sit there and just look at people and see what you think. It's very interesting. So that's another way to, to get to know that judgmental voice. And then if you get to know it, then you start to see, ah, I'm also treating myself like this. So to become aware of the inner judge is already, wow. Because what you are aware of, the patterns you become aware of, they start to weaken. You kind of start to undermine them. It's like, I see you, I see you, okay. And you will be there for the next 20 years because, I mean, I have now cultivated you and meditated on you for 30 years. So let's say it takes the same time of energy to dissolve you, yeah? So building it up in a strong single-pointed concentration, meditation, 
So it's very, the, the neuronal pathways of the inner judge, they are highways. And it's like, just like, so, uh, but I see you. So I see you. So you become aware, not judging the inner judge, but just becoming aware. And accepting, accepting that this is how it is, with compassion, because you start to understand, oh, this is from my conditioning, oh God, it's not my fault. And it's also not my, the fault of my parents, because I, I see, you know, I see my grandparents, and I know what they did to my parents. So, ah, and you see the, 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 the history, the family history. And then if you see that, then the, the only response which makes sense to that is compassion. Yes. Recently I've tried to uh, use the inner judge, like to be, be a, a, like a, a conscious judge that judges myself positively, uh, saying good, good things to myself and mm -hmm. repeating uh, positive phrases and a, and a good, you know, yeah. not I'm not lovable because of X, Y, and Z. Just I'm just wor worthy of love and, and such. Um, but but there are other times where um, it's hard it's hard to to take control and there's this worry and this anxiety. Um, but do you find that you have when you meditate? Is there some point or some focus that like almost always helps you? Uh, relax, or almost always helps you uh, feel a little mm. bit happier. Do you, do you have after like all these years? Have you found mm. like one thing that like yeah. centers you? Yes. What would that be? What is aware? What is what is aware? What is aware? Oh. I'll try. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so for me it is how does this feel in my body that's the first question so that would be then maybe putting my hand here so that would be the practice of self-compassion like becoming aware of how it feels in my body noticing the pain noticing the contraction mm -hmm. and then what is aware of that mm. so where is it in my body? What is aware? And and that where is it in my body? Sometimes that's like that takes a long time to to take care of that and yeah. mm -hmm. So a bit, I mean, a, a, a bit, like th that direction, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm not sure really if it's true what I say, but it could be, mm. but I have a sense just now that I, it's, there is that that is at one point from possible for me every day. Mm. 
of course, then it disappears again. Then something else happens, and and you know I can't sleep, and I wake up in the night, and I have anxiety. Uh, but I I I think it's uh, it's it's possible for me to open to that a little bit every day. And for you, that's also possible. Um, yeah, so the inner judge, becoming aware of the inner judge. What you said, um, I found good that you said that because uh, the kind of the tantric approach to, to, to practice is that all these different energies, all these different aspects of ourselves, that they actually have an energy inside which we want to unpack because there's beauty in it. It's like, uh, like something of the life's energy of you, of your awakening energy, is locked in the inner judge, some of the aliveness. So, uh, in, and that's true for anxiety, that's true for desire, that's true for anger, it's true for everything from the tantric point of view. So also the inner judge is, we are not going to throw him out. We invite them, him back to the table because, you know, I'm not sure exactly how you do it, but it sounds like somehow you find a way to own this energy of the inner judge in a positive way. Is that right? That it, it's like um, after meditating uh, for a, a few years, um, I've, I I felt like you know for for a, for a while, half an hour, an hour, I could stop listening to the judge, but then he would always come back mm -hmm. at something when I stopped uh, being yeah. you know aware. That's and right. I thought, and I thought, um, this isn't getting me anywhere. I need to uh -huh. take control of the judge and so yeah. be be a conscious judge and be yeah. a, a positive one yeah so i just you know i repeat thoughts and the the, yeah. the positive phrases and i look for because i'm on this um as, as almost everyone is i suppose I, we, we reach out for these things that i want this to have this body or i want to have this career or i want to have this uh experience then i'll be happy right um and i try to imagine what is the feeling that I want to have? What is this freedom or love that, that I hope this girlfriend mm -hmm. will give me or this uh, body will earn me? And then when I imagine that feeling, I just sort of give it to myself mm -hmm. instead. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it, it's incredibly um, helpful when, when I can do that. And I just sit and like, it's like when you go to the gym, you, you lift a weight and that's just what I do. I just put this, this nice feeling down uh, in my brain and my body. and. Mm -hmm. It's all obviously not always possible, but that's how I use the judge. It's like instead of, instead of you know, w when I don't listen to him, he puts in some sort of anxiety or fear or uh, mm -hmm. restlessness. But when I do control him, then I use him to mm -hmm. do good, good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That could be a good exercise. Yeah. I'm just coming up with something. No, embodying the inner judge. Yeah. 
because there is something in it. I'm not sure yet what, but there is energy in it, clarity. Also like a, a firmness, which is probably sometimes needed in our life. Yeah? A courage. Um, what does what what is not working is to argue with the inner judge. Like the inner judge says, so you are worthless. But then you say, yeah, but you know, I'm like this, and I have good memories, and I have good qualities. So, like to argue with the inner judge is. To make uh, to kind of uh, solidify him, and um, part of uh, working with the inner judge at one point could be like uh, in in provisional could be that you when he turns up you say shut up. I'm not saying that is the final solution, obviously not, <laughs> because that's not, that's not like the tantric view, yeah? which would rather say, okay, come on, I will dive into your energy, what, what do you have to give for me? But sometimes uh, in this work uh, is, uh, and, and in a way with this shut up, you you kind of, you get, you know, you take some of the energy which is in the inner judge, the aggressiveness. You, 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 you take that and you, you own it. Yeah? You own that energy. And you say, shut up. Out. <coughs> and this is anyway, it's good to learn that to say, shut up, out, don't treat me like this. It's scary, but very important, no? That's the, no, there's no wrathful, there's this wrathful uh, uh, Buddha figures, yeah? so they, they are this uh, wrathful compassion that firmness. Anger which is not aggressive. Shut up. Out. So that's what the defend. Yeah. <coughs> and then the looking through is, you know, the, the deeper the deeper seeing, you know, to see the insubstantiality of the thoughts. There is neither something being threatened by the inner judge, nor there is a solid real judge. It's all made up. Okay. So that's 
what I wanted to say today. Are there any questions? Something I, I went quite quick. Is it something you're particularly interested in or, or something you struggle with or a comment you want to make? Yeah. I, I think you can be compassionate to the inner judge as well mm -hmm. and offer him some tea like oh you're putting your finger at so many people you must feel really bad about yourself mm -hmm. if you're doing that so how are you mm -hmm. kind of like that yeah yes yeah i was thinking about the coffee shop example because i can really not notice that in myself mm -hmm. i sometimes become frustrated like oh like shut up like yeah. <laughs> really like yes. that like yeah. this this yeah. uh, this voice of oh look at that person's clothes or yeah. oh look at that person's appearance and mm. oh look at what he's doing like mm. Oh. Mm. and then I'm when I notice I'm doing that or I'm not doing it it happens by itself yeah it's not yeah. conscious it's no. just yeah. appears then I'm like uh-huh okay so sometimes I can just say, oh, okay, that happened, mm -hmm. that thought. So, so it's like I can be kind to that voice, say, so it's okay that you mm. say that. Uh, or I can mm. say, like, if it's, if it's really strong, I think the, the shut up is much more effective. Like, enough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's like a, a dance, you know, like different different possibilities yeah yeah maybe it's when it's very strong maybe maybe it's first you have to say shut up and then you say okay uh, how are you <laughs> I can see that you suffer you can but you, you know I invite you back to the table but shut up <laughs> but you don't need to live outside in the cold yeah. yes yes I um, one way I learned to disassociate from the judge was uh, an exercise someone else instructed for me. He was he said close your eyes, meditate, and try not to think. And obviously, thought comes up. And he said, did you choose to have that thought? And since you don't like you didn't choose because the instruction was don't think, and you thought anyway. So it wasn't your choice to have the thought. But then. If you ever have a negative thought, if you criticize someone, I mean, it wasn't like I intentionally chose, now I'm going to be an asshole and, and think something bad. It just came, whether I liked it or not. And that was one way for me to disassociate, ah, I am not the judge, the judge isn't me. What he's saying is just, you know, repeating what society has trained me to say and more of my parents or grandparents. Uh, it, it's not the real me, it's, it's mm -hmm. you know, it's involuntary and society makes us it it thrives off of making us feel like we aren't enough like uh you can only be happy if you look like this person or if you own this watch and so on and so on um so that that helped me see mm. that, that the judge isn't the the voice of the judge isn't uh mine necessarily yeah, yeah. that's uh, part of becoming caringly aware of our own conditioning maybe also understanding a bit where it comes from also culturally mm. Christianity and 
you know, some some Swedish uh, inner laws in the families, uh, stuff like that. So uh, if you become aware of that, it can help to do this, what you describe. Yes. I'm not sure because uh, it seems that uh, take time to figure out. But I've done this rain uh, exercise, and I noticed that when I am physically tired, it's more like like the energy will appear. The energy will appear. The inner judge. Ah, the inner judge, yes. Yeah. So I say, wait mm. a minute, wait a minute. What is happening now is that I am tired. I mm. really am need to sleep or to eat. Mm. It is uh, what I feel in my body. Mm. I say, okay, now we take a break. We don't think about these things. We don't make decisions now, no break out. Pay attention to my needs. And I think it's a very strong relation, in my case anyway, in between my inner Josh and when I am very stressed or very tired or... So it's like, mm. if I pay attention to those things, mm. I said to the inner I will come back to you, but first, yeah. this is the priority, yeah. Yeah. because my body is telling yeah. me that. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I look at the body, I discover mm. these needs. Mm. Yes. It's like when I'm like a little sh little children, they get chinky and in bad mood. Me, it's the same. I get mm. the energy instead because mm. I cannot show out the bad behavior. Mm. It's not approved by society. And I think it, maybe instead of that, I get this energy thing, like I'm chinky to myself. Mm. Mm. And uh, it works uh, for me to pay attention to the other needs and then when I say okay I said I would come by the inner church it's not there because what I really needed was to, yes. to take care of myself now mm. not later mm. not uh, no not mm. stop work do this or take take a little 10 minutes break yeah uh, in the in this rain model working with the inner judge and self-compassion uh, the end is translated as nourish. Yeah. Yeah. Not as non-identification as in the usage, but nourish. Yeah. So to recognize, to accept, to investigate, and then to nourish. And to give yourself what you need at that moment. I think maybe we, I, I say we now, maybe we, we demand so much of ourselves, we don't get rest, we don't eat when we need it, we mm. don't get out when we need fresh air, we don't, and under the day, yeah, that's, this, that's this all act. under that yes, self care. So that's, yes, uh, there's this uh, lists, you know, where you can check mm. uh, what, uh, where can you improve that mm. sense of self care. Okay, so on the, the date, all these needs that we don't take care of, accumulate mm. and create mm. like fights in the heads and inner judge because mm. we need to be free, mm. kind of that. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe. Mm. Yes. 
something that's been very uh, helpful for me uh, in the work um, was working with inquiry uh, in two different ways. One, uh, I've been doing a lot of the inquiry work, and the, th uh, the first ones are the ones that, that is on the inner judges. Uh, it's a three three steps. But tell me, tell me uh, how you judge and blame other people. Sorry? Tell oh. me how you judge and blame other people. Tell me how you feel when you judge and blame other people. Mm. And tell me are you ready to accept others the way they are. And then you do the same thing with yourself. Tell me how you judge and blame yourself. Tell me how you feel when you judge and blame mm. yourself. And tell me are you ready to accept yourself the way you are. But what I found was that when I judge and blame, I hurt. Mm. And when I saw that, how I, how I hurt myself with judging, blaming others and myself, I recognized the sense in the body that that creates. Mm. And when I can recognize that sense in the body, it is so much easier to recognize it when I do it uh, in my daily life. Yes. Because then I can say, oh. Yes, yeah, you okay. notice it. Yeah. Even if it's not very cognitive. Yeah. but I can sense the closeness and the yeah. shutting up. And then... Yes. Then get a little bit more this, this is a good point that recognizing the inner judge is also a lot recognizing how it feels in the body when yeah. it's there. It's 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 important. Yes. And, and realizing how, how it hurt. I mean, I would never hurt anybody else like that. Mm -hmm. And just recognizing that mm -hmm. that it hurts. Yeah. That was important for me. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. I was a bit interested uh, about what you said about uh, uh, that kind of uh, setting boundaries in a non-aggressive way. Mm. Because uh, sometimes I feel it's it's uh, it's hard to me to find a way between uh, I don't know how to, to explain it, but uh, that gentle setting boundaries I have a hard time with. So and what you said got me interested. So yeah. Talk yeah. a bit more about it, or uh, how do you? Yeah. Because uh, it's easy for me to ex either way uh, aggressively trying to defend mm -hmm. or the forgiveness, mm -hmm. understanding, mm -hmm. and uh, so some kind of healthy balance. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a very, very, very interesting. Uh, discovery uh, or a very interesting journey to distinguish between maybe one could say anger and aggression yes. and that it is one could also turn it the other way around but let's say anger is that uh, like just that clear energy yeah? so and aggression would be that plus the wish to hurt the other person the, the kind of a meanness or uh, like a hatred or yeah? and then if we to put these two into one thing then then we can get into trouble um, so to to explore uh, what it means to stand up for yourself and to be loyal to yourself and to be angry in a heartfelt way I think it's possible, but I think it's difficult. But uh, if we 
just put anger and aggression in one thing and we get these teachings, Buddhist teachings, yeah, ang anger is terrible and and all the then then we might cut ourselves from that possibility to explore heartfelt anger, like anger which comes from which is with compassion. And it's not gentle necessarily. But but you are uh, you are you somehow you come from here. Like I think some parents they they, they can maybe recognize that. I guess all of us, we can recognize that capacity to be firm, but it's not poisoned by reactivity and by, by the wish to hurt the child, which you prevent to do something or which you say, no, this is not possible. In the, in the Tibetan and the Tantric tradition, you have these wrathful deities. Yeah? And part of the Tantric practice, also with Shandrasik, is that you imagine that you are it. So you embody it. You feel, how is it to be Shandrasik? So, and if you work with a wrathful deity, you embody that you like you have the fire and the weapons and you are wow <laughs> uh, so you you allow yourself to explore that energy but there is no hatred in it so i think i i, I don't know uh, i wouldn't i don't know right now what to say more I think it's already a big step for us to to uh, to explore the possibility that there is awakening enlightened energy in anger that it is a good thing that we should be more angry not less <laughs> and then the journey of okay and then if we are too timid there, too afraid, then then we are not getting to uh, explore it. So because we are, oh, no, I need to be gentle, I need to be kind. and But that kindness is actually neurotic. It's coming from fear. It's not because there's kindness like this. It's, it's a kind of, Oh, what do they think? And, uh, I should be kind, and now I'm a Buddhist. Now you need to even be more kind. <laughs> so, uh, so you, the, the 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 aspect of you who is afraid, or who feels ashamed, or who feels you are not worth to uh, stand up uh, to be stand up for, um, kind of is really happy about the teachings on anger in the Buddhist teachings and kindness and cherishing others. Wow, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I'm very good in this. And I inside you cry. Outside you, you are kind and you get away with it maybe, but inside you cry. 
It's a, it's very important, yeah, and I don't. I'm I'm a beginner in that. So I, I, I but I'm I, I I think it's important to to open that space and that possibility, even if we maybe don't know yet exactly how to how to live it or how to train it. Probably some you know martial art or so could help. To get to know that energy, boxing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Time is up. So let's uh, stop by sitting quietly just for a few moments so that we can slide out of the morning. And appreciating how fortunate we are, how pressured it is that we could have been together this morning looking into this important practice uh, a morning well spent and then whatever inspiration space kindness arose whatever goodness arose this morning we share with each other and we share with the people we meet today today and in the coming weeks so that this morning stays a source of inspiration and protection for Thank you very much. Be well.